And Father, that's what it's all about. Our citizenship is in heaven. Your word tells us from which we eagerly await for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was Betty. Her citizenship is in heaven. She was eagerly waiting for you and you called her and she's with you right now. Bless you, Lord. What a glorious hope we have. Thank you. But Lord, as we think of Betty, we do think of the fact that we grieve loved ones when they pass. And so we commit our brother Gordon to you. Lord, just buoy him up, strengthen him, sustain him, and hold him in your arms, brace him, Father. May he sense that round about and underneath are those everlasting arms. Comfort him, just be unto Gordon, everything that he needs you to be right now. And Lord, for the family, and I met the daughter there as well, I just pray your blessing upon her and family members. Meet them, Lord, we pray. And just prepare Pastor Darrell, who'll take the funeral, and pray that it'll just be a, a triumphant time again of celebration of the life of this lady who's now with you. Thanks, Lord. We just commend her and the family into your hands right now. In Jesus' very precious name. Amen. And, uh, yep, let me just pray as we open up the scripture too. Good to pray. Father, we thank you again for the fellowship we've been able to enjoy already, for the worship and time together. And we just ask that we'll hear your word as you open it to us now. So thank you that we have the scriptures and available to us and we ask that you'll speak powerfully to our hearts tonight in Jesus precious name amen amen well as we know the alpha pardon me the alpha course will commence next Tuesday week the 12th of April and as we've seen through the the, the videos that have been playing um, the alpha course is primarily about answering the key questions of life the key questions of life and There could be people here tonight and you've got some of those questions. Fantastic. Glad that you're here. Please ask those questions and ask them to us. It'll be good for us to hear those questions. And please, can I just say this? No question. No question is considered to be stupid, foolish, or silly. Please don't ever think that. Um, No one in this church is going to think that your question, no matter what it is, is going to be silly. If anyone does, you tell me and I'll frown at them. So uh, glad that you're here and please ask those questions. So questions such as, is there more to life than this? Like what I have right now, is there more than just this? Those sort of questions. Questions about, you know, is God even real? And dozens of other questions. We've seen some of those tonight. And for many of us, many of us, because of our conversion to Christ, because we've come to know Jesus in a personal way, and we have that faith in him, um, and we've been exposed to biblical teaching over the years of our lives, and, and, and what a privileged place we're in, that we have that opportunity to study the scripture ourselves, to be in life groups, to come to church and to hear the word of God. We are so blessed, aren't we? You know, And we, by the grace of God, we've come to know many of those answers uh, in our own lives, um, many of those the questions, many of the answers, sorry, to those questions that, that we've had. Um, and having said that, um, you'll also notice that as we as we grow in the things of God, as we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God, and so on, we will also come to that place where we realise just how much we don't know. Not only that, we'll also come to realise just how far short we really fall to the glory of God, you know, from his glory, just how far short we are from him. 
All these things happen. But God, full of his grace, meets us day by day and takes us on with himself. In this passage uh, that was read to us from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and in view of the Alpha Course and what it's all about, about asking questions and getting answers, well, I want us tonight to consider three questions. Three questions about God from this passage that we've looked at here uh, tonight, that we've had read to us. So in this passage, I'm going to ask three questions. Three questions. Three questions. First one, what does God do through Christ? Second question, what does God do through us? Third question, what does God do for us? Three questions. By the way, there will be a test at the end. Am I allowed to use that word? Did you see that on TV? It's political correctness nonsense. They're, not gonna, they're gonna ban the word test. Assessment. No, well I'm gonna use the word test because the Bible talks about testing and test. Test everything the scripture says. So if the Bible says it, it's okay for us to say it. But don't get into a fight over the word, will you? All right, let's get on with this. First question. First question. What does God do through Christ? Look at verse 18 of the scripture tonight. Verse 18. All this, and I love the songs. I just want to say what Andrew mentioned as well. Good on you, Dan and team. You've picked some fantastic songs because so much of it, I'm just listening to the words of the songs and enjoying the music tonight, worshipping the Lord, and, and I'm thinking, God, you just arranged the music so well and the, and the songs so well. Listen to the verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So firstly, what I want us to look at, and it's so important for us to notice this in that first scripture, the very first word, verse 18, all, all this is from God. From the very start to the very end, reconciliation is God's initiative. God's initiative. It's his loving and merciful act of grace and goodness, kindness on behalf of a hopeless, helpless, lost humanity. And that's the state we were in. So God had to make the first step. We were not capable of starting anything. And that's why it says, all this is from God. There's absolutely nothing that we could have done for ourselves. Helpless. And having said that, I can't help but uh, remember just recently, Rosemary and I, as we probably already know, just recently welcomed into our family a beautiful brand new little baby granddaughter her name's Lily and of course she's the most beautiful little girl in the world and you know as we were holding her and as I was holding her and just embracing this dear little girl you know I became aware of the fact you know what she really can't do much she really can't do much for herself at all and someone has said that, that newborn human beings are the most helpless and dependent of all God's creatures on the earth. You think about it. Every other little baby animal, it doesn't take long before they're up and walking and can do stuff. 
Human beings, when they're born, they are totally helpless and absolutely dependent on someone else for help. Our midwives that are here tonight, yeah, you can, you can relate to that. I know mums can, parents can. But it's a good example. It's a good example of, of how helpless we really are. How helpless we are regarding what our part was in the reconciliation process with God. Not much at all. Because, you see, it's all from him. It's all from him. All things, all this is from God. It's also important for us as we look at this scripture tonight to note that it wasn't, that it was not man reconciling God to himself, but it was God reconciling man to himself. Do you get that? Not man reconciling God to himself in his space, but it was God bringing man into his space to himself through Christ. One commentator says this, What is stressed in this present passage is the amazing grace of God revealed when he himself took the initiative in Christ to remove the obstacle to reconciliation existing on his part. It is only on this basis that there exists a gospel of reconciliation by which humanity can now be called to be reconciled to God. And I like like what Albert Barnes also said. He's a very old commentator, not alive anymore, with the Lord in glory today. But Albert Albert Barnes, he further explains it this way. He says, reconciliation conveys the idea of producing a change so that one who is alienated should be brought back to fellowship. Of course, all the change which takes place must be on the part of man of people for God will not change and the purpose of the plan of reconciliation is to effect such a change in man as to make him in fact reconciled to God and at agreement with him one mind with God reconciliation a change but the change occurs in mm, us me not God he doesn't need to change we do we need to be reconciled to him and he by his love and grace and mercy took the initiative because we were totally helpless hopeless lost without God without hope in the world that's where we were so what the apostle Paul is teaching is that God is the aggrieved party here he's the aggrieved one and man is the cause Man is the cause. And it was our sin, more specifically, it was our sin and our rebellion that caused our separation and our alienation from God, from our creator, God. And if you look in the scripture, verses 19 and 20, sin is mentioned in those two verses. And the fact that it is mentioned in those two verses and the way it's mentioned is a clear indication that this is the cause of our separation and our estrangement from God. Sin did it. Sin wrecks things. Kills us. But I also wonder tonight if we really appreciate the fact that, that God really takes our sin personally. 
Have you ever considered it that way? In that it really does grieve him. It grieves his heart. Not so much in a legalistic way because we have broken his law and he's offended because we've broken his law. That's part of it. But more as a father would grieve over his beloved wayward child to whom he had so much to give. And here's God, this big-hearted father God who has all this to give to his children. He's got so much to give us. He's got so much to pour out on us. And you can imagine yourself wanting to give your love and you've got plans and, 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 you, you know, and you've just got so much to give your child and your child goes, I don't want any of that. And they turn their back and walk away. What would that do to your heart with someone that you love? Well, get a bit of a picture of that's what God's heart is like. It grieves him. And we get a glimpse of some of this. Even back in the book of Genesis, <clears throat> look at these words. <clears throat> Genesis 6, get a feel for what, how God is grieved by our sin. The Lord looked how great, sorry, the Lord looked, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Verse 6 of Genesis 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. And look at this. And his heart was filled with pain. Capture something of what it does to God. His heart was filled with pain. And we see the same kind of thing in the Lord Jesus. And we would expect to. Look at, it, look at the heart of Jesus here in Luke 19, for example, verse 41, 42. It says this. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Verse 42, and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, if you'd only known what I could have given you. But he says, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He wept over them, grieved his heart to see them in that place. Here it is, the Prince of Peace comes to give them peace like they'd never known before. And they refused him. They didn't recognise him. Yes, our sin broke God's law, but it also broke God's heart. And that's what we need to get a, a grip on tonight. King David, after he'd sinned with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, it's a beautiful psalm of repentance and seeking restoration. And he says, he says, against you, against you, you only have I sinned. He captured something of what it did to the heart of God, grieved him. And I believe that the Spirit of God wants us to sense something of the ache in God's heart when we sin against him but we don't stay in that place. You see, the answer, the answer to this first question, what does God do through Christ? Sorry, the question, what does God do through Christ? Answer, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then Paul expands on this fantastic, glorious fact. 
In verse 19 of the same passage, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Thank you, Lord. You see, through Christ, we are reconciled to God. When he took our sins to himself on the cross, therefore, when we put, when we put our, our faith in Christ, God will not count our sins against us because Christ became the sin bearer. The sin bearer. Not only that, but Christ, the one who knew no sin, was prepared and willing to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul says that in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Can you get your head around that? What does that really mean? He who knew no sin became sin? I mean, some of the stuff that we think about, and, and by comparison, we're a pretty wicked bunch. You know, we, we are. We're a sinful bunch. And some of the stuff that we hear about turns our gut and makes us nearly sick to the stomach. How does Christ handle, how did Jesus handle that when he didn't know any sin and yet became sin? So that you and I, we might become the righteousness of God. How can we repay him for all that he's done for us? Short answer, we can't. Nor does he expect us to. But it does lead us to the second question though. And it's this. What does God do through us? What does God do through us? Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 18 again, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only have you and I through faith in Christ been reconciled to God, but you can see here in this scripture that we've also been commissioned by him. We've been commissioned to be his messengers, his witnesses. We know that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Acts. So we're his messengers, we're his witnesses. We are even Christ's ambassadors. His ambassadors to proclaim this amazing, life-transforming news. This amazing message that can change the eternal destination of a human soul. And he's made us ambassadors with this message. So, so what does it mean to be an ambassador? Again, I like what Albert Barnes says. He says, an ambassador is sent to do what the sovereign would himself do were he present. They are sent to make known the will of the sovereign and to negotiate matters of commerce, of war or of peace, 
and in general, everything affecting the interests of the sovereign among the people to whom they are sent. Does that make sense? You're kind of with me with that about what the ambassador does? Speaking of ambassadors, I don't know, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, the Brussels terrorist attack. You know, and we got to hear the Brussels ambassador speaking. So he's speaking on behalf of his sovereign, on behalf of his government to us about all that's happening. So when we're speaking, when our government speaks, it's like our government is speaking to their government through the ambassador. So the ambassador passes the news to us and we were able to pass back to him, through him, to his government, our condolences and, of course, some of the other criticisms of their security issues and so on and so forth. And if you've been watching the news, it's in a bad place at the moment. There's so much now civil unrest going on in Brussels. Need to pray for that place. But there he was. He was the ambassador. He is the ambassador in our country, passing on from his government all the things that we need to know about. And as believers in Christ, we are charged with ambassador, the ambassador position and the ambassador purpose. And that is to make known on behalf of our sovereign God, our sovereign, the gospel of Christ, whereby human beings are reconciled to God through faith in Christ alone. That's part of our purpose as an ambassador. Warren Wearsby, he says, we represent Christ as we invite the lost to receive him. We represent Christ as we invite the lost to receive him. And Wearsby says, what a privilege. And then he says, what a responsibility. And it really is, isn't it? It's a privilege and it is a responsibility. It's important for us to also note as well as we look at this passage is that our message, which is the message of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our message is not primarily a message of social or political reform or of justice. It's not primarily a message like that at all. However, the gospel will do those things in the hearts of those who receive the gospel. It'll transform them. So it will transform people. It will have an impact on social issues, on political issues and so on. As the person changes from the inside, it'll do that. But it's not primarily the message. It's not our primary message. But as Christ's Christ's ambassadors, our message is the cross. It's the cross, it's the gospel, the cross where Christ died for the sins of the world so that we might be reconciled to God. And then the Holy Spirit does his work in the hearts of the hearers. And folks, we need to realise that we have to give room, if you like, for the Holy Spirit to move. For he alone does the conversion and not us. So the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and pierces through human hearts. You can't do that. Our job as ambassadors is to carry the message, speak the message of the cross, speak the message of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit uses that and powerfully penetrates people's hearts with the gospel. He does that. 
He only can do that. It's a supernatural transformation that happens in the heart of a person. And it's a Holy Spirit work. And you're the carrier. You're the ambassador. Sometimes we want to do the Holy Spirit's work for him. Sometimes, and I've been in that position, where we've tried to present the gospel in a, in a clever kind of way, trying to argue the point. No, you're not meant to do that. You share your testimony, you share what you know, the truth, and you pray and you ask the Spirit of God to take your words and penetrate their hearts with it. So back to the cross, the cross, always the gospel. Paul says to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 25, he says, but we preach Christ, crucified. He says, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You have a powerful tool, if you like, when you use the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed. And that reminds me of this verse where Paul says those very things. Romans 1.16. You probably need to underline that. Know this verse where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Well, because it is the power of God. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then to the Gentile. You see that? This is what the gospel does. And Satan, in all of his cleverness and his deceptive ways, if he can, he'll throw the church off the scent of preaching the gospel, of preaching Christ, the cross, and he will fill us with all kinds of social, political issues and all kinds of stuff and so on. And yet we're told to preach the gospel. Don't be ashamed of it because it's the power of God that brings salvation to people's hearts. And of course, this is exactly what the Alpha Course is all about. This is what the Alpha Course is about and it starts next Tuesday week, the 12th. Please pray. Please be praying that God, that God may lay someone on your heart, that you might invite someone. Whether they come or not doesn't matter, but at least invite them to come. They may not come for the whole time. might just be for a short time. But God will use that in their lives. Warren Wiersbe, he says this, talking about ambassadors. He says, all believers are ambassadors. Whether we accept the commission or not. As the Father has sent me, I also send you, said Christ, John 20, 21. And then he says, let us make sure that our message, methods and motives are right so that our work might be lasting and might, not, and might stand the test of fire when we stand before him on that, on that day. And Paul's referring to that passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, where he says that fire will test the quality of each person's work on that day. And the people who have been spruiking rubbish... They may even be Christians. The stuff that they spruik will be burnt up in fire. But the ones who preach the cross, the ones who preach the gospel, that's what will stand the test of fire on that day. God's judgment over it. If you know what I mean. Third question. Better move on. Third question. 
What does God do for us? What does God do for us? And the answer is found in one of my favourite verses from this passage. And I believe they're very powerful, liberating words from God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, another good one to underline, having your armoury in your toolbox for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You're just not a reconditioned model of the same person when you are invaded by the Holy Spirit. When Christ fills your life, you don't just become kind of, uh, 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 I don't know, a, a remake of the same person. You become a brand new person. You're not a retread. You're not reconditioned. You are transformed. You are a brand new person. I love how the Amplified Version puts that same passage, that, that, that same verse. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Amplified Version says this. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. That's who you are in Christ. A fresh, brand new person. Not just a retread of the old model. This illustration is going to lack a little bit, but I've got to use it again. And I'm thinking of my little granddaughter again, Lily. Can you remember the last time you held a newborn baby? Ladies, did you hold a newborn baby? Of course you did. And many of you have. And, but to hold that baby, and, to, and, and like I did, looked into her eyes. Look at those little eyes, those brand new, fresh, clear, pure, beautiful little eyes. Look at them. So clear, so pure. And, but what about their skin? The skin of a new baby, so soft. And have you smelt the skin? Smell the skin of a brand new baby, a clean baby. But smell the skin. It's so beautiful and so fresh and new. And, and, and it's a poor illustration, no, but this is something. This is something of how God holds you. This is something how, of how God looks at you. It's something of how God smells you. When you've been born again in Christ as that new creation. You resemble and you smell just like his son and he is so pleased with that. It's a pleasing aroma. And Paul actually says that in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 2, sorry, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. Listen to this. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. But we are a pleasing aroma to God. Isn't he awesome? Look what God's done for us. We could never have done that ourselves. You resemble and you smell just like his son. Also, also, as a new creation, we get to have a whole new view of Christ. A new view of Christ. 
For example, we don't identify him with the 200 kilogram cement statue that we saw on the news last Wednesday night, if you were looking. When the owner of a property unsuccessfully tried to dispose of this statue of Christ, did you remember that? Someone bought a property and the owners, the previous owners, had this huge, big 200 kilogram cement statue of Jesus in the property. And the new owner didn't want it there. And she tried all kinds of methods to get rid of it. Nobody wanted it. And the interesting thing was, the comment made was, nobody wants him. Nobody wants him. Isn't that interesting? But you know what? Everybody needs him. Nobody wants him, but everybody needs him. Everybody. Not a soul is there who does not need the Lord. People need the Lord. Do you remember that song? Isn't that a beautiful song? Some of you have not heard it. I'm going to read it out to you. If I was game and full of bravery, I'd ask Margie Rain to come up and sing it. But I'm not going to do that. Was it dobbed you in? There he is, big grin on his face. If you, look, if you get a chance, you guys might even be able to find it on YouTube. People need the Lord Steve Green. Best rendition, I think, by him. Listen to these, listen to these words. I, I think this song's anointed. This is how it goes. I'll read the lyrics. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care. Headed who knows where. On they go through private pain. Living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realise people need the Lord? We are called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life only we can share. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. Listen to this last line. When, when we will realise that we must give our lives for people need the Lord. Did I get it right, Mark? Beautiful song. It's an old song. I heard it when I was my 20s, so there it goes. It dates it. But I think it's got some magnificent meaning to that word. I think it should be the theme song of the Alpha Course. People need the Lord. Can I ask you tonight, are you aware of that? Are you aware of that yourself tonight? Did you know if you're here tonight, you need the Lord if you don't already have him? Never look at anybody and think, you know what, their lives are so good, their life is so together, they've just got it so good, so together, how could they ever need the Lord? No. Every single man, woman, child, every soul, people need the Lord. Without him, they're lost. No matter what they look like on the outside, and I believe they cry on the inside for answers, truth. 
authenticity. For he is the saviour of the world. He's the risen, conquering king, the altogether lovely one. He really is beyond description. And did you know that it's only in Christ that we have life? There's no life outside of Christ. Listen to this, 1 John 5, 11, 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It's as simple and as clear as that, isn't it? 1 John 5, we need to know that, 11, 12. So in answer to that third question, this is what God has done for us and so much more. And I think that's why we have been given eternity because I believe that's what it will take for us to truly appreciate and marvel at all that God has done for us. It's going to take eternity for us to get a handle on what God has done for us. And as new creations, we see Christ in a new way, but we also see human beings in a new way. Let me keep rolling through here. I know I'm going over time a little bit here. But we, so we see Christ in a new way, but we also need to see people in a new way. And you will. When God fills you with his spirit, you'll start to love what he loves and hate what he hates. But you will see people in a new way. And Christ sees them that way as well. They're the ones that he died for. And that's what Paul meant when he said this in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no person from a worldly... Oh, that's just George. That's just Phil. Oh, that's the guy that just does that. He's, he's the one that does the grass. He's the one that works over there. Um, oh, that, that girl's the one that cuts my hair. And this one serves me at the... That's all they are. No. They're not just that. These are people for whom Christ died. They're not just the guy who serves you. They're not just the person next door. They're not just the people you work with. But these are people like you and me for whom Christ died so that their sins can be forgiven, so that they can become new creations in Christ and be with Christ forever, so that they too, like us, can enjoy this place of being therefore under no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 that's what it means to be an ambassador. That's what it means to have this new view, not only of Christ, but of other people. Listen to what, uh, um, what Wearsby says here. We no longer see people as friends or enemies, customers or co-workers. We see them the way Christ sees them, as lost sheep in need of a shepherd. When you are constrained by the love of Christ, you want to share his love with others. Listen to what Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16 again, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. These are the people that Jesus loves and he died for them. And you know what? As God lays it on your heart and you pray for him, you, you pray, God, use me as your ambassador. Give me an opportunity to share something of your love with that person. He'll open doors like you wouldn't believe. All right, got to finish. Here's the test. I hadn't forgotten, had you? Here's the test. Before I do, summary. 
So that's what God has done through Christ. That's what God does through us. And that's what God does for us. Here's the test. And it's going to be in the form of a prayer. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you just to ponder what I'm going to say here. This is the test. So in a prayer, I want you to fill in the missing words. That's the test. You fill in the missing words. And it's simply this. In a prayer, you say, Lord, in view of your message to me tonight, my response to you is, you fill in the missing words. A few moments of quietness while we do that. In case you missed it, Lord, in view of your message to me tonight, my response to you is... Father, thank you for the many missing words that have been found tonight and put in there as a prayer. Thank you for all that you mean to us. And we just ask, Lord, that as we ponder the things that you've been saying to us tonight, Lord, I know it's been a bit of a long night tonight. Father, help us, we pray, to ponder these truths as you would have us ponder them to chew them over, to pray them back to you. Lord, help us, we pray, as we commit ourselves into your loving, almighty hands, thanking you for the awesome privilege of being your sons and daughters tonight and indeed for being your ambassadors. So help us to do our duties well. We cry out to you because we know that we're so inadequate, even a bit scared at times. Please help us to be there for you because Lord you're always there for us and we commit ourselves therefore to you thank you for the rest of this evening and for the week that lies ahead thanks for the hope that we have may we have the privilege of sharing something of this hope just use us as we are Lord to bring glory to Christ perhaps to invite someone to Alpha tonight or during this week Lord we commit ourselves to you thank you your time with us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Please stand with us and we'll sing our final song. Trust the sweetest frame.